Mini episode 1128 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1128. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here, and this is a segment reprising something we have done, I believe, on two occasions in the past. This is a gentleman that we love having on the show to talk about the landscape of baseball at midseason and uh, also to take a look at the All-Star Weekend and event itself. Uh, a gentleman who, again, is uh, one of the busier uh, broadcasters uh, certainly out there in the sports industry, Seth Everett, uh, and again, uh, doing so many different things right now from the Sports with Friends podcast to his work with iHeartMedia as a baseball insider also for NBC Sports Radio. Uh, On and on it goes, a very, very busy gentleman, and uh, we're always very happy when he can break off a little bit of time to talk with us here in the FDH Lounge. So Seth, welcome back to the program, sir. Good to have you on. How are you today? Uh, thanks for the kind intro. Yeah, I, I love catching up with you. How are you, man? Well, oh, doing great, doing great. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on as well, and uh, I always love these conversations. They always come out really great, and uh, again, w- where better to start than uh, this past weekend, everything uh, leading up to it? Uh, I was privileged to get to take in some of the All-Star activities this weekend myself. Uh, I dare say my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, I think coming across very well. Uh, this uh, this first year of doing the Fan Fest indoors and outdoors was a big hit. Uh, I got to check it all out, and it was uh, really, really a big smash, I think, in every way with all of the things there. That was, that was something that, uh, again... First year for them to do this, and, uh, you know, it's going to be contingent on good weather and everything like that, well, much like the games Wait, themselves. First, first, first year of doing what? Fan Fest? Yeah. Fan Fest for, no, no, no. Decade? Indoor and outdoor. Uh, this was the first oh, okay. year. I see. I yeah, see. They, uh, they, they had, uh, it had previously just been indoor, and then they expanded right. uh, with all of the additional stuff outdoors and uh, really made it uh, almost... You know, much more of, I think, a, uh, a, a family-friendly experience, even more so than it had been previously, and uh, just uh, it's something that they're going to replicate in future years. So I understand SoCal's going to have this next year and some of the years thereafter. So with, with that, with the Futures game, which I was also at, which, uh, again, I know you're not a big fan of. I always wanted to go. And, uh, oh, I don't I, mind the Futures game. Uh, my issue with the Futures game is I don't understand why it's played on the Sunday up against Major League Games. Yeah. Um, they moved it to 7 p.m., which I thought was smart, but I don't know if anybody watched it. I, I, I saw a very disturbing uh, statistic about Sunday. The soccer game, which I loved, I, don't, don't get me wrong, had a rating that was bigger than all 15 MLB games combined. Wow. Which is alarming. So um, I don't know what the Futures game got. I'll be honest, I didn't look. Yeah, I haven't seen myself either, and that's one of those things where it's it's probably not great because it's a very niche well, activity in, in, in what is becoming. But a, I've suggested, yeah, mm-hmm. but I've suggested playing it on the Monday before the home run derby. 
I, I, I've always said, you know, that should be uh, part of the Monday or play it in the afternoon on Tuesday. You know, teams do, uh, ballparks do split double headers all the time. So you could get a, you know, a crowd of 25,000 at noon on Tuesday. And, you know, Tuesday's a day where the All-Star game is center stage and let the Futures game highlights be on that broadcast, not on Sunday when there's 15 other baseball games. Well, I knew we were going to have an interesting exchange of views on a number of things here. Let me give you my perspective from being at the Futures game, and it's exactly what I expected. Of course, piggybacking it with uh, the celebrity softball game, this is a thing where, again, it is a lowest common denominator society, which I think sums up what I'm about to say perfectly. The crowd that stuck around for that game, as opposed to what was there for the celebrity softball, I'm not going to say microscopically smaller, but certainly definitively smaller. So I don't know that you'd draw 25,000 under a best-case scenario, and particularly on a daytime. I mean, maybe you would, Seth, but the interest for the Futures game, it, it probably is what it is. It appeals to guys like me and you, but it's just one of those things where baseball is not like uh, football and even to whatever degree basketball where the developmental guys are more in the public eye and people take a big interest in them. I mean, I was. I got Brady Singer on my keeper team, right? So I'm the one guy in the park screaming my head off for him. But your average Joe out there is is not going to be as much into seeing the stars of tomorrow, sadly. That's just my perspective. Uh, Yeah, I don't don't have an argument with it. It is what it is. Yeah. The Futures game, you know, All-Star Weekend... How I put it, um, it's supposed to be a big commercial for the sport. Yeah. And I don't know that this All-Star Weekend accomplished that, but I hope that the host city uh, enjoyed it because I have always said that the All-Star Game should mean the most to the host city. Um, I have been to Cleveland dozens of times. I didn't go to this All-Star Game by choice, um, but I like when a mid-sized market has the All-Star Game because it really takes over the whole city, and it's nice to see that. I think Cleveland did a nice job hosting. Um, I thought the one mistake I, I really saw was posters for Bryce Harper in the, in the, in the walkways. I thought that was kind of a mistake since he wasn't an all-star, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I said. Like I said, it's nothing perfect. Well, yeah, yeah, and that was that was probably about as bad as it got, uh, you know, quite frankly, with anything. Because, yeah, it, it went very well with the host city, and something that you would know being as here as much as you've uh, been. Rob Manfred pointed this out, the compact nature of the Cleveland downtown, it was something that really sure. helped out. It was Everything was basically walkable, more or less, and it's something that a lot of cities don't have. It's sort of reminiscent of when we had the Republican National Convention in 2016, and then the next week the Democratic National Convention was in Philadelphia. The media commented on that a lot. Boy, we have to take a lot more buses to get from point A to point B. Well, so there's a big well, difference I, there. My joke, my joke about 2016, was it 2016? The year the Cavaliers won. Yes, same um, year. My joke about that, <laughs> I tell this joke on the air all the time, is uh, you had 1.7 million people. Yes. Uh, at the Cavaliers parade, yep. the Indians had a home game that night and drew about twenty-two thousand. Yeah. That means one point six five million people walked by Progressive Field and said, "Nah." Well, absolutely. Because you can't get anywhere downtown unless you walk by Progressive Field. You have to see Progressive Field. Yes, yes. And uh, one of one of my friends who was 
a show contributor and who was also a public figure in his own right, so I will not mention who he is, but he actually went to the Indians game blackout drunk that night, so there were a handful of people who did that. They could have opened it up. I would have given free tickets to anybody who walked in. You know, but here's the thing, though. That's the nature of Cleveland. I think it says more about Cleveland than basically interest in the Indians, because I'll tell you this. uh, As a media member, I was covering, this is maybe about 15 years ago, it was a Cleveland Barons hockey game at the time, a St. Patrick's Day night. There was about 500 people in the queue, and you'd had how many, probably over 100,000 people downtown for the uh, the parade that day. It's it's always a huge event in this city, so uh, whether it's not having a street team or whatever, now you shouldn't need a street team for the Indians, but uh, your point is very well taken on that. Yeah, you don't always get the spillover on these uh events here but yeah it was a big weekend uh for cleveland uh seemed to have acquitted itself well i was happy to see that and then uh, again it, it, it highlighted uh a lot of things about this season that uh, again you, you you touched on a few things here that i think are emblematic of the greater season as a whole uh not least of which again where you said it didn't necessarily serve as the advertisement for the game that you were necessarily looking for. And that's the whole thing here, too. I was just reading an article today on CBS Sports. This is a point that I've made before about baseball's lack of star power. When you've, you've got a guy like Mike Trout, who's arguably the best player of the last 50 years and is basically anonymous to the mainstream, and t- today's column, of, I guess, was making a similar point about Mookie Betts not being known outside of the hardcore of baseball fans. I mean, you look around, you look at the home run derby, you look at guys like Vlad Guerrero Jr., you look at Acuna, you look at some of the guys who could be out there, who could be at this point of of that level of of mainstream stardom, but it kind of makes you wonder if it's possible or if anybody is going to pick up the initiative uh, to basically do this. You've already got guys like, not to be a homer, Frankie Lindor. That's a guy right now that, that should be a mainstream uh, level star uh, known nobody, in society. Nobody knows, nobody knows who he is. Right, right. Um, but isn't he, he's no, a perfect example. Marketing. Look, baseball has a perception problem. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think the sport's in a bona fide crisis. I've said it, you know, on many, many shows and on my podcast and everything. Uh, I feel bad for it because I love the sport, but right now the pace of play is slower than anything. Yeah. And I have numbers that back it up, uh, unfortunate numbers. Um, a perfect example, uh, last year in 2018, baseball had 11,000 less balls hit in play than 2008. Wow. That's 10 years ago. Yeah. That's not that long ago. Like, for fans that are listening to this, like, we're not talking about the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. We're talking about 2008. And it's been a dramatic decrease. Um, and because of that, the time between balls hit and play has gotten to a rocket low uh, aspect. Let me tell you something about the All-Star game. That This is my biggest – I had two takeaways. One was about Cleveland – because I love that they booed everybody that had anything to do with the 2016 World Series. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, but when I got home, I was I watched the first five innings at a restaurant with friends, and then I got home because I had to do some radio work. And I turned on the I turned on my computer first before I even turned on the game, and I looked at what was trending nationally mm-hmm. on Twitter, and the word "boring" was trending. The word "boring" wow was trending, and. I think that that was telling, and I, I, I see that, and it's a red flag to me. It 
it's a red flag to everyone. And that's why I made the comment about I don't think it's the commercial that baseball was hoping for because, you know, this is not the first time. I mean, the 2017 All-Star game was just as boring. Um, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. I was at the 2018 All-Star game, but I, I'm, not, I'm not remembering uh, if it was exciting or not. Um, the ratings came out. It's the lowest rating of the decade. And this decade, the 2010s, is the lowest-rated All-Star game decade in history. Yeah. Um, and a part of that is, you know, television has changed and there's more options and entertainment's different. You know, so it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. But the All-Star game being a big deal is diminishing. Right. And that can't be argued, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's, although it's, it's really, I hadn't noticed that on Twitter last night about boring uh, trending. It's a thing where, to, to me, and, and again, I, I was extra, I was more amped up than usual for the game because of it being a Cleveland thing. To me, I don't know. It didn't, from my perspective, it didn't seem that boring. First of all, because it wasn't lopsided. I mean, there wasn't a lot of offense, especially in the early innings. Uh, but, no, but it wasn't a lot of action. There wasn't a lot of defense either. It was a yeah, lot of strikeouts. That's true. That's true. And you know, that's the problem. I, I, I don't think people mind a pitcher's duel as long as there's defense involved and there's a flow to it. And that's the thing, Seth. When we're talking about the flow of the game here, it's a thing where. To me, it's almost, just my perspective, almost sort of like a perfect storm of a lot of the factors that you've got involved here because you've got the situation with the baseballs, which seems to have gotten exacerbated this year but has been ongoing since 2015. You've got everything, obviously, 2015 also the year of StatCast really taking off and launch angle, the hitters are are now more actively uh, going for uh, home runs, and so you're getting this three true outcomes kind of a thing that is really just, I would agree with you, killing the flow of the game. Part of it is here, too, just the fact that, again, and I'm going to critique the players on this as well, as you look at the defensive shifts of the last couple of years, so many of these guys, I hate to say it, I have respect for the skill, but like helpless babies. Let's be honest about this. You know, when you're leaving like half the infield exposed and these guys can't put it in there because they didn't have the minor league training to be able to do so, it'd be as if much of the NBA was as inept as uh, DeAndre Jordan and Andre Drummond at the free throw line. You have that in Major League Baseball where the shift is just uh, willfully sort of killing a lot of this as well. So to me, it's a lot of different factors. Uh, But I would certainly agree with you that uh, it is really killing interest in the game at a time when the younger generation is is normally drifting away from baseball anyways because it's a game that is more challenging to the shorter attention spans to begin with. I I completely agree. Um... My my thought is, um, you know, I have a personal story I can tell you. you okay. know, um, In 2015, uh, Daryl Hamilton, who was a major league player, played 13 years, and my broadcast partner mm-hmm. uh, was killed. Yes. And I had to walk away from the sport because it was personal. It was a constant reminder of sure. what I had lost. He was my best friend. Anyway, I took a lot of 2016 off. Mm-hmm. And in 2017, I came in with an open mind. I had a great conversation with Dusty Baker, who was the guy who gave the eulogy at Daryl's funeral. And it really invigorated, you know, my passion for the sport and my ability to face the sport head on and not be, you know, not be affected by it. Yeah. And when I walked into 2017, I started to see it was a different game. Yeah. And so what we're talking about is the years of 2014, 15, 16. 
who are which are a blur. I mean, I covered the game, but I couldn't go to the ballpark. That sure. was my only issue. I didn't I didn't take off for work. Right. But by 2017, I was watching something different, and I I, I don't take that lightly. Right. Um. And then what I chose to do was I didn't want to sound like I didn't want to go on a broadcast, say what I just said to you, mm-hmm. and and then be told that. My objectivity is in question. Okay. Because I, I wouldn't let that be. Sure. And so my argument was I needed numbers to back it up. And I told you about the 11,000, the average amount of time between balls hit and plays, three minutes and 49 seconds. Um, networks are, regional sports networks are starting to insert 10 second ads in play. Yeah. So during play, so if your hitter strikes out, and there's a runner on first, and the pitcher walks around the mound, you're going to see an ad for Sprint or Geico or something stupid. And so when that happens, I started to recognize that the numbers were backing up the problem. And by the end of 2017, I said, this sport is headed to a crisis. And I believe the crisis is upon us. I believe it's gotten worse because then you start to talk about the marketing. The marketing of players, you mentioned how they're anonymous. Yeah. And that's a really bad thing. Um, the questions that I have regarding the pace of the, the play, look at it from an NBA standpoint, okay? Let's yeah. just compare it to the NBA. In the NBA, you don't hear the media talking about the sport in a way, for example. No one comes out and says, you know, the third quarter of that Cavaliers-Pacers game really had too much interior defense. Right. No one says that. No one says that. You know, you could argue basketball has too many threes, right? Yeah. But no one goes on the radio and or television and says, boy, the NBA really has a big problem with too many threes. Nobody talks about that. Yeah. What they talk about is everybody knows the political stances of every player. Like, who's Kawhi Leonard friends with? And who does Kyrie Irving want to play with? And what is Kevin Durant like? And, like, those kinds of questions. And they all have social media profiles. Right. And all the players have become caricatures of themselves. Yes. Now, if you're holding baseball to a high standard and no one knows who Jose Altuve is, it's a, it becomes a red flag. Yes. And so the only thing – here's another statistic. I, this is something I couldn't believe. Bullpens have completely changed. Right. You know that every team has three guys that throws 98 miles an hour. Right. So because of that – the probability of coming from behind in the later innings is less than 15%. Yeah. Which means in hockey or basketball or football, the last 20 minutes, half hour, is the most exciting part of the sport. In baseball, it's almost like we're telling you the opposite. Right. That if you're losing 6-3, to three, the chances of you coming back are so small, what are you glued to your television for? Now, people on the circle will say, oh, it's too many pitching changes. Sure, because it's too many pitching changes times the fact that it's probably going to work. Right. And again, this is about competition. Right. I cannot argue. When a scout tells me about the benefits of launch angle, I can't argue it. Right. You're right. These hitters, are, are they better hitters? No, they're not better hitters but they are more productive hitters at the plate, but they're boring. And I had a general manager tell me, and I'll end it with this, 
that's a fundamental flaw with the game. And I don't know. I, I, that's where I don't compare it to the Black Sox scandal or the cocaine issues of the 70s or the steroids of the 90s. Like, I don't see it. I see it very differently. I don't know how baseball comes out of this because they are teaching this. This is not this is not like a bunch of players got together and decided to come up with launch angle. They are teaching this on the minor league level. Right. So all your future players are going to have this problem too. That's true. So uh, fix it. How how do we fix? I, I don't know. I don't know how to fix something like that. But what happens at All Star time is everything exacerbates that. Yes. And like I said, the 2017 All Star game. I was in Miami, and people were leaving in the seventh inning in a 2-1 game. Wow. It was a 2-1 game, but it was so boring. And last night, like I said, I was doing other things. I really was. Two radio stations last night asked me to come on during the All-Star game, and I said, you know, the All-Star game is going on. And they said, man, we don't care. <laughs> that that kind of tells it all. And that... Uh... Your, your analysis, by the way, uh, interwoven with uh, the personal story that you told. Uh, I, I'm very proud that you told that story here, and I want to thank you for that. Thank because that's, that's emblematic of the kind of conversation that we try to feature on this show along with analysis. And it's, it's very profound from your perspective and from having had to take a step back emotionally and allowing you to see the game through sort of refreshed eyes. That's a perspective that the rest of us don't have. So, yeah, sometimes you notice something when you're not looking as closely at it over a period of time. This is one of these things, by the way, the only thing I'll say about what you said about the NBA, one of our show contributors, Steve Callis, he can go a little Grandpa Abe Simpson at times. He is complaining about too many threes in the NBA. And there's The Houston Rockets, by gum, they shoot more threes than twos. They need to move the three-point line out. So not everybody is uh, you know on board with the way that it's going, but you're right. It doesn't get questioned as much, and this is one of these things where, like you said, you know, really, what do we do about this? Because it's science. I mean, you you can always alter the baseball back and try and get it back closer to where it was, but whether it be launch angle, whether it be having these hard throwing specialists that everybody has in the late innings that really kind of choke off the rallies, I mean, science has really opened our eyes to what is the most efficient. We've really had this sort of efficiency revolution in baseball over the last decade, and especially half decade. And that's one of those things where efficiency and what it takes to win can a lot of times be diametrically opposed to what it takes to entertain. And if baseball doesn't entertain, it has no future as any kind of widespread mass market pursuit in this country. So, yeah, that's we're, we're looking at a question here, and, and that, the whole thing of what baseball is and what it's trying to be, which I think Tony Clark was, was even kind of pondering this recently, that's an existential question, I think, because baseball has to figure out how you square the emphasis on efficiency with all these teams with keeping people engaged in the game, because I agree with you, it's it's diametrically opposite right now, one pursuit and the other. Yeah, I, I mean, Tony Clark is a guy that I, I have a lot of respect for. Um, I have reached out to the union about a documentary project that I had in mind. Um, we had him in Greenlit, so I don't want to talk about it sure. yet. But um, but there was a project that we, we we've been pitching, and I went to the union. And the union gave me their support in terms of access to players. Okay. Because that's what we would need to do the, to, to do the show. And the advice I got, this wasn't from Tony Clark directly, but I had just spoken with Tony. I had, you know, friends in the union, and they said, but if you're going to do it, you got to do it soon. Well, <laughs> I said, yeah. why? 
He says, we're going to take, uh, we're gonna, uh, trust me, they're going to be media blackouts. They're not going to do interviews. Wow. And I said, and I said really, you're, you're bunkering down. And uh, this is what I was told. And I was told this is not privileged information. So this is known. Okay. Um, Major League Baseball, has, the Players Association has taken its licensing money. Mm-hmm. That's the that's a central fund that you know all the video game companies pay for the likenesses of the players and such. Yeah. And that goes into a central fund and that's dispersed to the players. Yeah. And they are withholding payments this year on licensing money and starting a strike fund. Ooh. And you know I saw that and I I just I I wasn't. That alarmed me, but then this week when you read that the union is considering walking before the collective bargaining agreement is over, I was like, sure they are. They're ready. And, you know, when Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel were free agents in May, all I said was, this is, this is what it looks like. like. This is where, this is what Armageddon looks like. And, I mean, Craig Kimbrell is one of the top five closers in the sport. Yeah. He was not signed. Because the metrics said he's not worth the investment. And again, if your argument is you're trying to win and these analytics are telling you this is the, the not the smart way to spend your dollars, I cannot argue with that. Like, if I go on in a market and I say, well, the people, the host will say, well, why didn't the Brewers go after him? Well, why didn't 29 other teams go go after him? Right. Keiko, too, it's, it's the same thing. So... You know, this argument that, you know, there's a solution, there's an easy solution to this, I don't think there is. But they are bunkering down. That's why when, I, when I've outlined uh, baseball's crisis, mm-hmm. it's a twofold thing. There's a short term and a long term. The short term is how are they going to reinvent themselves after a work stoppage? And because in a sport where they're dealing with apathy, where the word boring is trending on Twitter during your All Star game, then. How will you deal with, it's not going to be the same animosity that people had in the 90s. The 94 uh, strike broke people's hearts. Yeah. This won't break people's hearts. Not in a mass appeal. So the result will be, that's the first part of the crisis. The second part of the crisis, and again, I'm, I hate you know, making it sound like it's about me, and it's not, but I'm 45. When I turn 75, so that's 30 years from right now, mm-hmm. I think baseball is not a major sport because if you look at my generation, so I'm in my 40s, and I think that this is the last generation with the passion that I remember from growing up. I think people in their 30s have it, but it's it's diminishing. But I think once you get down to to the 20s and especially the teens, I don't know anybody who's interested. And so what I fear is that when a 15-year-old now is in his is 45, when I'm 75, I wonder what that sport will be. And that's part two of the crisis. And I think that the after effects of a work stoppage will be felt, but what it'll do is, wait a second, you guys are, you millionaires are walking out. That's what the fan's going to say. Right. And then they're going to say, and by the way, your game is not fun. Right. Yeah. That's true. Uh, that, that's the, that to me. That's that's the that's the crisis, and uh, I I I don't wish it on anyone. Right. But I have yet, and I don't have any faith because, you know, again, I'm not trying to plug a well. This is a podcast, sure. so let's plug other podcasts. Absolutely. Um, on my Sports with Friends podcast, I have accused uh, Rob Banford of a lot of issues, mm-hmm. 
um, to the point of a guy who I considered a friend for a long time. I have learned so much information that I have no longer invited him on the podcast. The situation, and if you listen to the, the episode entitled Baseball Cop, mm-hmm. and which is a book written by a former uh, police detective who worked for Major League Baseball, uh, and then there's another uh, episode where Eddie, uh, Eddie Dominguez comes back on the show uh, after the David Ortiz shooting. Mm-hmm. If you hear those two episodes, you will have no faith that Rob Manfred has his eye on the prize. And so this sport is rudderless then. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to get political on you, but, you know, there is a, it, there is a subconscious about people who are disillusioned with the president. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. there's a lot of people, whether you're for him or against him, there are a lot of people who are very, very upset that he's in office. Sure. Think about that from a baseball standpoint. If you are a baseball fan and your team's not in it, and you look at this sport and say, show me a leader. Who's the leader? It's not, it's, it's, it's not Manfred. And that's, uh, that's a problem. And the owners are in cahoots with everything he's doing. So he's not going anywhere. No. <laughs> and, and the problem, you know, I used to worry that the union had gone with their heart with Tony Clark and not with their head. Because if you remember, the, the last two uh, heads of the players' union were lawyers. Yes. I said, you might want to get a lawyer. Like, this is never anything against Tony Clark, but right. don't you want to hire a lawyer? And all that my friends at the union said were, don't worry, <laughs> we have lawyers. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> we're, we're, we're good. One does not preclude the other, certainly. Well, the one thing I'll say, too, is that baseball, at least, now maybe it doesn't have the margin for error, that some other sports do. I'm not going to lump the NHL in, but the NBA and the NFL have a lot more margin for error. But if you look back at the last couple of decades, and, and, and you and I are contemporaries, Seth, so I agree with you. Our generation is the last that came up looking at baseball the way that we do. But it's a thing where every sport the last 30 years, in some cases 30 years plus, it's been a bloodless technocrat, basically, in there. In baseball, it's been ever since Selig. In the NFL, it's been ever since Roselle stepped down. I mean, this, this is what happens. They're all bloodless technocrats. Gary Bettman's the king of them all. So baseball's just doing what other sports do. I, although maybe they don't have the, again, maybe they would be Ill, you know, ill-advised not to do better than the other sports. That's a good point, I suppose. Well, but, well, but I've talked to Gary Bettman about this. You know, Gary Bettman is a guy who said... The sport needs to be shut down. It yeah. needs to be reinvented. Yeah. And give, give him credit. You know, he took a lot of heat. True. He gets booed everywhere he goes. Yes. And and he saved that game. <laughs> that sport is a better game because they canceled the season. And I I have no issue with that. I I, I saw that. Uh, you know, I'm a big hockey fan, and Me I too. missed it. But I didn't feel the 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 the. the, the, the the hatred, like they restructured everything. They looked back at the rules. They checked everything. They watched their games. They watched the video of their games, and they said, what is missing here? And a lot of people say it's a more offensive game. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. What's the problem? Right. And, you know, I did, I did a podcast. Again, I'm not trying to book, just promote the podcast, ahead, but I did an episode with Martin Brodeur two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there's never going to be another one like him. Right. Like, okay. That's fine. <laughs> like, let, there, there's a reason that they built a statue for him. That's, right. that's fine. And, you know, the NBA, what I will give credit to the NBA for doing 
is reinventing itself. Right. Because there was a time where its gameplay was bad, there were only three teams that could win, and my argument has always been, I don't think the NBA cares as long as those two teams are interesting. Right. Well, this year they have like eight teams that can win the title. Yes. And, and their global numbers are through the roof. So I, I give Adam Silver a ton of credit because at least he's not that crook uh, stern. Yeah. And the, the argument for the NFL, the NFL has its own problems. Yes. It's, it's not immune to, like, no sport is immune to problems. Right. But I think that they are addressable, fixable problems. You know, the NFL has to answer the question, why are certain states going eight, eight on eight at the high school level? Because you can't get enough players. Right. Like, they have to answer that question. But yes. as long as the hotbeds of, you know, Alabama and Florida and Texas, like, continue to produce football players, the NFL's not going anywhere. That's but true. In baseball, but in baseball, you have a difference. And, you know, baseball was, was great in its day. When I see, and I just recently did this, um, I was going through a drawer and I found a bunch of the old DVDs of the old, the early 2000s, late 90s World Series films. Mm-hmm. Watch the 03 World Series. Like, it's, it literally looks like old footage. It's yeah. such a different game. It's such a different game. And um, it, it makes me sad because I do miss... There are things about baseball, like things about baseball that I owe my life to. And now I don't know how much longer I can cover it. Yeah. No, I hear you on all of this stuff. I mean, that, that is a very good point. Uh, you, you, are, you are making a lot of outstanding uh, points here. The the one other thing that I wanted to ask you about here in, in the course of our conversation, sure. when, when you're looking at the landscape of baseball this year, we got a deal now where, for better or for worse, you've got the one singular transaction deadline of July 31st, which is going to make it different from years past. So, as I was getting together some materials here uh, over the, uh, the All-Star break, and uh, we have this up on our sister website's front page at fantasydrafthelp.com, a, a ranking compilation here put together of the teams in baseball. So basically put all these things in a pot, just kind of add it together. Power rankings, we've got a thing where it's half strength of schedule, half power rankings, and then OBP, OPS+, plus, FIP, ERA+, plus, Pythagorean record, SRS, run differential. I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at Arizona, and who, who I had ranked a little lower in my power rankings. I only had them about 19th. And I'm looking at this like, wow, there's nothing that they do badly. There's some things they do average. There's some things where they're well above average. And, like, if you're Arizona and you didn't expect to be in it this year, like, you, you're sort of emblematic of one of these teams where the next couple weeks are going to be very interesting and, and, and maybe revealing on where you go. But a lot of teams are going to be in a real weird spot uh, I think particularly in the National League with the availability of those wild card spots here, and how much do you want to try to sell out to get one of the wild card spots? So the, the landscape of it here, as I'm looking at the various rankings for the teams here and the various strengths and, and, and weaknesses and, and what they could do to address them if they wanted to, or do you take a pass on it at this time? Uh, again, I, I'm not sure if it's for better or for worse, but that's going to be a radically different thing in baseball end of July and then into August. Well, you know, you're already starting to see teams saying that they wouldn't be buyers if it's just for a wild card. So mm-hmm. Cleveland plays Minnesota, I think, 13 more times. It's five and a half at the All-Star break. Uh, Cleveland's won six in a row, so maybe they make a run. Um, I'd lo- I-, I just want pennant races, so I- I'd love it. 
Um, you know, the Yankees have a six and a half. It's uh, six in the East with Atlanta and Washington. Um, are those divisions over? Because here's the argument, and you know, I made this comment earlier, and I'll stand by it. Uh, if you're asking me to pick a World Series winner, I'm going to say the, the team that wins the NL Central. Because the NL Central is, like, razor tight. Yeah. And so the teams that are in it are going to be playing playoff-like games all season long, like all of August, all of September. Who's going to be hotter going into the playoffs than the team that has to fight off the, its opponents to win the Central? Because if your other divisions are over, if you're the Yankees, Twins, Astros, Braves, and Dodgers, you are not putting on a uniform to go to a ballpark to, to play a game that is must win until game three of the division series. Yeah. That means you are not playing, it, and it's human nature. Right. We say it about college kids all the time, but like, what, how does that cycle, what, what motivation can you have? You are going through the motions. Right. So what I hope for the sanctity of the sport is that, you know, the teams I mentioned, Tampa, Cleveland, you know, Washington, Philadelphia, like, make runs. Win 10 in a row, please. You know, Washington's playing much better, so maybe they can make a run. Like, I'm not against the teams that are in first place. They just, I don't want it to be over before we hit August. That is an excellent point, and that's a real thing. I've been saying this on this show uh, for a number of years, and uh, because we are at a show where nothing is off topic, we talk about it with when we're doing other sports, talk about it there as well. I said it last year with my Indians, the glass jaw syndrome. Uh, you go into the playoffs there. I mean, we, we had basically the worst strength of schedule uh, in baseball as far as competitiveness. Uh, not, not, a, not a big uh, shock there that uh, they weren't at all prepared to face Houston. I remember a situation a couple of years ago. I think it was when Chip Kelly was in Philadelphia. I looked at their strength of schedule, and it was awful. And I said, they're going to get beat by New Orleans in the first round at home, and they did. So this is a real yeah, but, thing but you're talking NFL, about. But the NFL, you don't play the same opponents every year. Well, true, true. But, you know, strength of schedule, it, it, it's a factor. This glass jaw thing, I think it, it, it can be a factor across sports here. If you're not facing the best competition, uh, are you going to be really sharp when it comes time for crunch time? Now, that seems to be slightly different than your point, which is basically that you're, you're if you're in the NL Central, you're in it the whole way. You're having to fight, you're having to battle, whatever. I think that, that sort of bleeds over into my point. Point that the competition is tougher than what, say, the Dodgers are facing in the West. That's part of the reason that the Dodgers are way out in front the way that they are. So it's a little bit of both there, probably. But yeah, it's uh, that is an excellent point, and that makes me think twice because I'm sticking with my preseason pick of Dodgers over Houston in the World Series. So you've you've given me something to think about there, Seth. But uh, more importantly, and more profoundly, on, on the macro issues with the sport. Uh, again, it just it, a lot of wonderful salient points that you raised here uh, about where the sport's going, and uh, a lot of them, let's be honest, fairly apocalyptic. But uh, you know, better to better to be accurate than to just come on here and do some happy talk about how everything is great, because things will never get better if you don't acknowledge the problems. Well, what I try, you know, I won't make these claims without the numbers. Yes. you know, I back up. I just want to, and I don't inundate with analytics. I. I I read it all, but I, you know, it goes out one ear, it goes sure. in one ear, it's you know, a tool. Yeah. out the other. Yeah, it's just it's it's not my thing. But you know, the fact of the matter is, is like you know, the numbers that I see, you know, twenty two teams are currently on pace to hit twenty, you know, two hundred plus home runs. Yeah, um, you can't argue those numbers. I mean, you, you can't. And 
what I don't like is baseball celebrates the home run so much. People ask me why I didn't watch the home run derby because the whole season has been home run derby. It has been, and and it, it, you're not you're not you're not showing me what I fell in love with. I love six four three double plays. I right. love um, you know checking runners first to third, and uh, I love throws from the outfield. It just seems like. You know, what I love about the game is just few and far between. I hear you on that. And I, again, I, I like sort of, you know, the, the moderate middle lane a lot of times in a lot of different sports. I've always said, I mean, I know in people in football, some of them love it when it's real low scoring. Some of them love it when it's real high scoring. I've always said my optimal thing is somewhere around like 23 to 16. For baseball, I'd say like 5 to 3. That's kind of like what I like. I don't like too much. I don't like too little. I kind of like it right in the middle where everything well, means something. And... But the, yeah, but the difference with that, though, is, you know, a, a, a 2 nothing game, a 2-1 game that, that has pitching, defense, and flow sure. is not horrible. Yes. A 2-1 game that has, you know, 16 strikeouts on each side is boring. Yes. That's, a, that's an excellent point. Yeah, it all depends on what it is and what form it takes and, and right. again, and and that's that's one of the things about uh, that's like saying, right? Yeah. But that's like saying, like you you know, <laughs> I hate to be sound sexist, but you know, some people say, do you like blondes or brunettes? Oh, how can you make that claim? Yeah. It's not one or the other. You can like certain blondes or certain brunettes. It's the same concept in baseball. I'm not saying I don't like offense. I'm not saying I don't like the home run. I just don't want them all the time. The baseball put out a video. I'll I'll, I'll leave you on this note. Baseball put out a video about the National League MVP mm-hmm. on social media and all these channels. I don't know if you saw it. It was about Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger. Yeah. 75% of that was them hitting home run. Yelich is up for the triple crown. Right. <laughs> show me that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, show me his, his strengths. Show me his abilities. And that's not what makes an MVP. So your video is showcasing the fact that your top two MVP candidates are all home run hitters. Okay, good. That is an excellent point, Seth, because, yes, and, and that, that sort of encapsulates everything right there, to take what these guys do and reduce it to that very simplistic Showcase point. that, yeah. Yeah. Right. E- exactly. You know, lowest common denominator type marketing, and, and again, uh, if baseball hasn't learned by now that they're not going to be able to chase the casuals with that kind of stuff, uh, again, it's, it's, it's not going to work, and, uh, again, uh, hopefully they will start uh, listening uh, at some point, to the likes of me and you, and uh, again, so many wonderful and uh, salient points, uh, Seth. I, I can't thank you enough uh, for being here, and uh, look forward to the hopefully the next time we get to uh, catch up with you and uh, more about this uh, potential project with the union, if that goes anywhere. So all the very, very best to you, uh, Seth. This is why, again, myself and the folks here at the show are big fans of your work. You demonstrated it yet again today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate your time. I really appreciate it, Seth. Thank you, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode number 1128. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, all clear channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNN, NBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classics, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio.
Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse, and The Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.